This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Mark. Jesus comes along, dies on a cross, and he basically says, Now, you have faith in me and my finished work on the cross? You will no longer be captive to sin. Sin will no longer enslave you. Oh, sure, we're going to still have sin struggle, but in other words, it will no longer enslave us and doom us to hell because we can be set free from the penalty of sin. Jesus paid the price in full. Passover ultimately pointed to Jesus. The Israelites were trapped in slavery when the Lord delivered them from their captivity. The Passover dinner celebrates this freedom. On Jesus' last night, he partook of the Passover dinner with the disciples to demonstrate that he was soon to be their freedom. As Pastor Gary shares in his message today, Christ is your deliverance from sin. You are no longer trapped in bondage to sin. Don't expect to live a life free from sin but you can have freedom from your sin thanks to Christ's gift on the cross. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark, chapter 14, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We left off here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, right around the... uh, uh, verse 12 in my Bibles, it's, uh, it's subtitled The Lord's Supper. Um, this again is part of the final week of Jesus' life. First 10 chapters of the book of Mark cover three years, give or take, and the last six chapters of Mark cover one week. And this is that final week of Jesus' life, and we find here now he's with his disciples. Uh, in this uh, room where a Passover has been prepared for them. And so uh, this is where we left off. Let me just read again, starting at verse 16, and so we can get our bearings straight. It says, The disciples left, went into the city, this is Jerusalem, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the mount of olives. So last week we talked about how the the setting for this Passover meal uh, would not have been typically the way that Leonardo da Vinci portrayed it in his famous 
painting of the Last Supper, but instead it would have probably looked more like this. They would have been reclined around a table that was in a U-shape. Again, the paint, this is an artist rendering also. It doesn't really portray them reclining as the text tells us. And typically in Jewish fashion, they would have always eaten with their right hand and they would have leaned on their left. And so they would have been leaning on their left arms and legs extended outward, kind of like the spokes on a wheel around this U-shaped table, which was commonly referred to as a triclinium. It's from uh, two Latin words meaning three couches or three cushions. And in this way, uh, as you would sit, you'd be able to see the people around the room with you more easily than if you were just all at one long table facing one direction. And uh, this Passover dinner is also called a seder, which is a Hebrew word that simply means order. There was a whole order to how this dinner should take place, and we'll talk about what exactly the dinner commemorated in a moment. But at where we left off last week, I mentioned to you that there's a likely uh, understanding of where some of the disciples would probably have been sitting during this last uh, supper here, uh, this Passover meal, and uh, the host typically would sit on the left side, second from the end, so that's probably where Jesus would be seated. And based on some other things that the Bible tells us, when it refers to John leaning on the breast of Jesus, if you're already leaning on your left elbow, eating with your right hand, and someone to your left is talking the way you're going to listen to him is you're going to lean backwards on his chest. So that's probably where John was located uh, to Jesus's right. And it talks also in the Bible about Peter asking John, who is the one that he's speaking of who has betrayed him? The dialogue probably happened across the table. So from one end to the other. So Peter's probably at the opposite end of the U than John was. And then it speaks here in the text clearly about how Jesus shared the same bowl to dip his bread, to dip his his matzah with Judas. So that would probably place Judas to Jesus' left. So best guess, uh, based on where the twelve were seated plus Jesus, these four probably pretty good guess where they were located. And again, as I pointed out last week, typically the host... To his right would be one of his close friends, so that's John's seat of honor at this, at this dinner. The person who was considered to be the servant of the group, who would get up and wait on him if needed or refill the plates, would, would be where Peter's located on that end of the table. So I think Jesus was intentional about that because, you know, Peter's always the one a little too full of himself, so you're going to sit in the servant seat for this dinner. And, and then, of course, Judas, being to the host's left, was always reserved for the guest of honor. Very, very uh, interesting place where Jesus uh, puts Judas, because here is his betrayer. Judas is the one who's going to betray Jesus, and yet Jesus gives Judas the very place of honor at this dinner. So there you have it. Um, these 12 located here around this uh, triclinium. Now, they are celebrating the Passover meal. Uh, This might be redundant for some of you who are familiar with this, but I want to be particularly mindful of those of you who don't understand the connection with some of these things. What are they doing? Why are are they eating this particular meal? What does this feast mean? And then what, what does it mean, even more importantly, that Jesus is taking an aspect of this feast and he's referring to his own impending death? So for this, we need to go to Exodus 12. So just keep a place there, somehow a pen or a 
piece of paper or something in, in Mark, because we'll come back to Mark 14. But I want you to see a couple of verses out of Exodus 12 to understand where this Passover meal first began, and then we'll tie it into the words of Jesus. So in Exodus chapter 12, what we're going to find here is a passage having to do with the first implementation of the Passover meal. And the, the context is that the, the Jews have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God is going to miraculously deliver them. He's going to use Moses to be the prophet of God to lead them out of Egypt towards the promised land. And as they leave in haste, they don't have time for their bread, to, for the yeast to, to be put into the dough and for the dough to rise. So they leave in haste and they have dough without yeast. And as a result, it, it's going to become a flat bread known as matzah, bread without yeast. And that's going to be part of the Passover meal. And so here in Exodus 12, verse 1, it says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. And so this, this is the month of Abib um, and and it was to this event was to commemorate the beginning of their calendar year. And so verse 3, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man, the month of Abib today is called Nisan, tell, uh, on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you must, uh, rather, you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides of the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. This is the matzah. Verse 9, do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left... Till morning you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, or in Hebrew, Pesach. All right, your attention for a moment. Now, when we get closer to Easter, when we get into that, uh, that Passover week, the Wednesday night before Easter, I will go into more detail about this passage. But I wanted to give you the background because here's as much as we need to understand about this. This feast is first implemented because the Jews are living, e leaving Egypt in haste. That's part of this whole scene here. When Pharaoh, finally, because God has been using a series of ten plagues to pry his stubborn hands loose from the Jewish people, God then has moved the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh reluctantly lets the Jewish people go, and they are to take off in haste, leave, and go quickly. The last plague of the ten was the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And the way that God protected his own people was he said to them, part of this Passover meal was to slaughter a lamb that you are to eat, but you were first then to take the blood of this lamb and you were to mark your homes. 
You are to mark the top of the door and the sides of the door. And then when the angel of the Lord were to see the mark of the blood of the lamb, then God would pass over, Pesach, would pass over those homes and death would not come to those families. And so God gave the Jewish people instruction in advance. If you want to make sure that no one is killed in your home, mark your home by the sign of the blood of the lamb, according to my instruction here. Then take the lamb. You are to roast in a proper way. You are not to break its bones. You are to in, involve other aspects of a meal, bitter herbs and, and bread without yeast. It's become more elaborate today than it was originally. And you were to have a meal here, but all the families that were protected by the mark of the blood, then God passed over those homes and death did not come to those families. And thus, God says, now, I want you to always commemorate this wonderful day of deliverance. So this scene in Exodus 12 is about 1400, 1450 BC. And the Jews, now we come to the Gospel of Mark, you can go back to Mark's Gospel, and so the Jews for 1400 years up to this point of Jesus now, have been celebrating the Passover. Now there were, there were some parts in Israel's history where they neglected celebrating the Passover, but overall for about 1400 years, to the t- when we come here to Mark 14, the Jews have been celebrating Passover. And that first Passover, with what we just read there in Exodus chapter 12, in summary, basically, was to commemorate the Lord's deliverance, which set the Israelites free from slavery of Egypt. So every year, there was this feast that took place, the Feast of Passover, It involved this meal known as a Seder because there was an order to this dinner which involved certain food items and certain cups of of wine and certain glasses. And so it it was this very, you know, structured, ordered dinner. But the purpose was to commemorate the Lord's deliverance when he led the Israelites out of Egypt uh, toward the promised land. God said, I don't want you to ever forget this. So every, every year you were to have the Passover meal and you were to have the Seder dinner. You are to never forget what I've done for you by delivering you from slavery in Egypt. That's the context here. So this, this whole event here of Jesus in his final week of his life before he's crucified, this is all wonderfully coinciding with the Passover feast. You know, there were different times, remember, in the Gospels where Jesus talks about how, or the Gospels talk about how the people tried to make him king by force, and, and Jesus would, you know, move through the crowds, or he would, you know, exit quickly, and, and he didn't want some people to, to tell the miracle that he had performed for them. Why? Because he was on this divine timetable, and he would say at different times, my time has not yet come. And he, he was on this divine timetable of the Father, which would coincide his crucifixion with the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Because, see, what the Passover painted a picture of was this greater purpose. The greater purpose, uh, now that we realize, being the last Passover here in Mark 14, not that it's the final Passover, because Jews today still celebrate the Passover, but, but the last Passover, otherwise known as the Last Supper, that Jesus has with his disciples and ongoing has a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Because now, when Jesus takes the matzah, the bread without yeast, and, and he breaks it with his disciples at this last Passover meal here, he says, well, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. 
And he takes one of the cups of Passover. And it happens to be, there's four cups. It happened to be actually the third cup. It was the cup of redemption. And he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Drink all of it in remembrance of me. And you have to imagine, you have to be one of these guys sitting around this triclinium because for 1,400 years, your own people have been celebrating this meal with one thing in purpose, in mind. And that is, this is about the deliverance of our forefathers from slavery in Egypt. And basically what Jesus comes along and does is he says, no, wait a minute. There's a greater meaning to this. In fact, everything about that original Passover that has been celebrated for 1,400 years up to the time of Christ was pointing to this moment. And this moment is going to now expand our understanding of what Passover ultimately was pointing to. And what Passover ultimately was pointing to was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That he would be the lamb. Remember John the Baptist? When he first saw Jesus approaching to be baptized, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Paul would write in his letter to the Corinthians that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So Jesus is going to be crucified and it's going to coincide exactly with the time of the Passover lambs being sacrificed on the Temple Mount because why? He is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb of Exodus 12, which had been celebrated for 1,400 years up to the time of Christ here. And that by His death, the sacrifice of His blood, His blood now marks our lives by faith, And by receiving Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, now His blood, if you will, marks our lives and death passes over us. So that now through faith in Christ, we have eternal life and death does not come to us. Oh yes, sure, physical death does. Our body will decompose and return to dust from which it was made. But we will always live forever because at the point of death for a Christian, it's just a transition from here to there, from this earth to heaven. And that's where we spend eternity. Now, why do I say this? Mark this verse in your Bible there in the margin of Mark 14. Just mark down Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Here's what Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Listen to this, verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying this. The feasts, the festivals of the Jews, and he's one, and he knows, and he's very well educated. He says all the feasts, all the festivals, you know what they were? They were a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is fulfilled in Christ. So Jesus comes along, shares this Passover meal with his disciples, and he's going to expound upon the ultimate meaning of Passover. It wasn't simply a commemoration of the Lord's deliverance of the Israelites from slavery to Egypt. No, in fact, through his life, what it really is, is a commemoration of the Lord's death, which set us free from the slavery of sin. See, Egypt was a picture. Egypt was a picture of slavery, right? But bondage, yes. But Jesus says, you know what? Ultimately, it points to a greater bondage that we all have. We're all enslaved to sin. We are all born with a sin nature. We are all going to sin by nature. If you're not convinced of this, look at your children. Okay? You don't have to tell a little child, lie, 
steal, cheat, and hide all your toys from your friends. Because they'll do that on their own. We all did on our own. Why? Because we're born with a sin nature. So we cheat, and we steal, and we lie, and we, and we do things like this. Because we're born with a sin nature. And we're all dying, and we're all in bondage to the same problem. We're slaves to sin. Jesus comes along, dies on a cross, and he basically says, Now, if you have faith in me and my finished work on the cross, you will no longer be captive to sin. Sin will no longer enslave you. Oh, sure, we're going to still have sin struggle. But in other words, it will no longer enslave us and doom us to hell because we can be set free from the penalty of sin. Jesus paid the price in full. Passover ultimately pointed to Jesus. Now, why is all this important? All this is important because, listen, for those who may not understand how all this connects, this is why we call now this aspect of Passover, and I, and I use different terms depending on what your background might be, communion, the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist. Okay, my tradition generally called it communion. It's, it's from a Latin word, uh, communio, and it really is the Latin version of the Greek word in the Bible, koinonia. And it basically means fellowship, communion. And the early church would come together in fellowship and and communion and in unity, and they would break bread together, and they would keep, they would preserve this aspect of the Passover in commemoration of the Lord's sacrifice. Because this is what Jesus tells us to do. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat this. Drink this. So that you would never forget that you and I, through faith in Christ, have been set free from a greater slavery than the slavery of Egypt. We've been set free from the slavery of sin. And so there's the ongoing celebration of this in what we call communion. That's my tradition. Lord's Supper, maybe for some of you. Eucharist, if you have kind of more a liturgical uh, background, you know, the Anglicans, I'm sorry, Episcopalians, they, uh, well, I only say that because they use the real wine. We don't, we don't use the real wine around here. We use the grape juice, all right? Uh, just because we don't want anybody to stumble. So, uh, so, so there you go. But we do this in remembrance of the Lord. Now, there's all kinds of, of different types of, of traditional things preserved about communion. Eucharist, by the way, is just a Greek word that means thanksgiving. So, you know, fancy words all meaning basically the same thing. But, but some traditions vary along these lines. You know, in some churches, you have to come forward row by row, and you, and you receive communion down front. Uh, in, in our church, of course, we, we pass the trays. You take it right where you're seated. In some churches, it's every single service, where you, you take it every week, every service, uh, in, our, in our church, we do it basically twice a month here. We do it once on a midweek service and uh, once on weekend services. Um, there's no set rule. In some, in some churches, it's the single chalice. But, uh, but, you know, those things vary from church to church. That's no big deal, okay? But we are to do this in remembrance of Jesus. Why? Because this is something that, that Jesus committed to the church. There's two ordinances that Jesus committed to the church. One was communion, and one was baptism, water baptism. Uh, that we should always do this in remembrance of Him. We should always preserve this aspect of the Passover, and we should do it on a regular basis, and that and regular can be defined differently from church to church, and, and that we should also practice water baptism in, in recognition of our, of our faith in Jesus Christ, to be baptized by water. It, it identifies us with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we go under the water and come up out of the water.
Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Mark on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can also download our mobile app. Find the On The Go link under the Teachings tab. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Cornerstoneconnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. We'd love to meet you, but if you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our 11.45 a.m. service also offers interpreting for those who speak Spanish. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, we'd be honored to talk with you. Send us an email at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for joining us to study the book of Mark. We hope you'll tune in again here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know